You use this time to really, really put your pedal to the floor and get people vaccinated and get people boosted. The world reacts to a new COVID variant. It's November 30th, 2021, and this is VOA Asia. I'm Jessica Stone in Washington. You'll also find us online at VOA Asia Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also ahead, China pledging 1 billion COVID vaccines to the African continent. Islamic State expands its reach. Portugal's Golden Visa program implements big changes in the new year. Invasive pests run rampant in Australia. And a museum examines the U.S.-Mexico border wall. It's all on today's VOA Asia. Japan begins a border ban for new foreign arrivals on Tuesday. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida says Japan will make the border measures due to the Omicron COVID variant. Kishida also says quarantine restrictions will be imposed on arrivals from an additional 14 countries where Omicron has been detected. He gave no additional details. Meantime, the U.S. is banning travel from South Africa and seven other Southern African countries starting today. U.S. President Joe Biden's senior health advisor says Omicron appears to be more transmissible than other variants, but health officials are still not sure if it causes more severe disease. VOA's Arash Arabasari has more. Days after South African health officials announced the discovery of the latest coronavirus mutation, now known as Omicron, travelers in Johannesburg say this feels like deja vu. After being stranded for two years because of COVID, not seeing your family, my parents were deathly ill, you know. Um, so I had to come back when the borders were open to come and see them. And now, you know, only to, to realize, well, it's happening all over again. Many countries have already started barring or restricting travel from southern African nations. The reaction of uh, some of uh, uh, countries in terms of uh, imposing uh, travel bans and, 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 and such measures are completely against the norms and standards as guided by the World Health Organization. Dr. Pata called the travel restrictions draconian. On Sunday, U.S. President Joe Biden's chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, said travel restrictions won't stop the virus's spread as much as it will buy time to act. Utilize the time that you're buying to fill in the gaps. And by time biting, you learn more about the virus. You learn what its relationship is to the antibodies induced by vaccines. And above all, you use this time to really, really put your pedal to the floor and get people vaccinated and get people boosted. It's going to give us a period of time to enhance our preparedness. Fauci went on to praise South African officials for their quick transparency in identifying and sharing details of the Omicron variant. And while he says it's too soon to talk of lockdowns, Fauci added that U.S. and South African health officials plan to meet again Sunday. Friday, 61 passengers who arrived in the Netherlands on two flights from South Africa tested positive for the coronavirus. On Sunday, Dutch health officials said they found at least 13 cases of the Omicron variant in that group. Aras Arabasadi, VOA News. No deaths have been reported due to Omicron, but the World Health Organization's director general says infection surges could have severe consequences in some places. Here is Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus speaking Monday. We don't yet know whether Omicron is associated with more transmission, more severe disease, more risk of reinfections, or more risk of evading vaccines. Scientists at WHO and around the world are working urgently 
to answer these questions, we shouldn't need another wake-up call. We should all be wide awake to the threat of this virus. But Omicron's very emergence is another reminder that although many of us might think we're done with COVID-19, it's not done with us. We're living through a cycle of panic and neglect. Hard-won gains could vanish in an instant. Our most immediate task, therefore, is to end this pandemic. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres also issued a statement saying, quote, I am now deeply concerned about the isolation of southern African countries due to new COVID-19 travel restrictions. Low vaccine rates are a breeding ground for variants. The people of Africa cannot be blamed for the immorally low level of vaccinations available in Africa, and they should not be penalized for identifying and sharing crucial science and health information with the world. We invite you to read more on our top story by following our Twitter stream at VOA Asia. We're also on Facebook, VOA Asia, and the VOANews.com website. These are among the top Asia headlines you'll find right now on VOANews.com. Australian research finds climate change behind surge of bushfires. Taiwan's president says Europe must defend democracy alongside Taiwan. Calm returns to Solomon's capital after deadly riots. Myanmar junta armed resistance dig in for long slog. Widow of South Korean dictator issues apology over brutal rule. Asian leaders at economic summit vow to help Afghanistan. Expanded coverage of these stories and more are on Facebook at VOA Asia, Instagram, Twitter, and on the voanews.com website. VOA Asia continues. Chinese President Xi Jinping kicked off the China-Africa summit in Senegal with a pledge. Beijing is offering Africa 1 billion COVID vaccine doses. This comes just as the continent is struggling to acquire enough jabs for its population. In a speech via video link, Xi said his country would donate 600 million doses directly and another 400 million from other sources. It's not clear which vaccine he's promising to distribute. To contribute to the achievement of the objective set by the African Union of vaccinating 60% of the African population against COVID-19 by 2022, I am announcing here that China will provide Africa with 1 billion doses of additional vaccines, including 600 million in the form of a donation and 400 million in other forms, such as joint production between Chinese companies and the African countries concerned. In addition, China will carry out 10 health projects for African countries and send 1,500 medical professionals and public health experts to Africa. Xi's promise comes as part of a forum between China and African states focused on trade and security. China invests heavily in Africa and is the continent's largest trading partner. Here's Macky Sall, the president of Senegal. 
Within the framework of the New Silk Roads, the African Infrastructure Development Program and the Continental Free Trade Area, there is great potential for the Chinese-African partnership in terms of structuring infrastructure projects. According to Japanese media, the United States is planning to host an in-person summit between President Joe Biden and leaders of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations in Washington in January. The summit would be the first face-to-face meeting of Biden and ASEAN leaders since he took office in January this year, as Washington is emphasizing its commitment to the region amid China's growing clout. The United States has proposed holding the summit in the third week of January and is coordinating the date with ASEAN members, according to the reports. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is slated to visit some of the countries in the group, including Indonesia and Thailand, in December. Japan and the United States are considering holding security talks involving their foreign and defense ministers in January to reinforce their alliance in dealing with China's increasing military assertiveness. That's according to a Kyoto News report. Arrangements are being made for Japan's foreign and defense ministers to visit the United States for the so-called 2 plus 2 meeting with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. The in-person meeting will likely be held after Tokyo decides in December to shoulder more of the costs of stationing U.S. troops in Japan from fiscal 2022 in response to a request from Washington, with the minister signing the cost-sharing accord. Still ahead on VOA Asia, Islamic State on the rise again. Happening now in Asia. Malaysia and Singapore's prime ministers jointly visited buses that will again serve a land border that has been closed for nearly two years due to the pandemic. Only 1,440 travelers who must be citizens, permanent residents, or long-term pass holders are allowed from each side per day. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. We're so happy you're with us here on VOA Asia. Terror group Islamic State continues to grow as a threat to Afghanistan's new Taliban government. That has caused Moscow to work more closely with the Taliban in hopes of keeping ISIS fighters away from bordering Central Asian republics. Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb explains the significance of the terror group's vanquishing and where it stands now. Islamic State in Iraq and Syria once controlled more than 7 million people and 100,000 kilometers of land. Since its territorial defeat, it could no longer wage a full-scale war, but the group, also known as ISIS, has not stopped terrorizing local populations through bombings and small attacks. ISIS, as an insurgency and terrorist organization, has not been defeated. They are they are geared to wage a long war, a long jihad. Tom Jocelyn of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies says there is also evidence of Islamic State in Iraq and Syria commanding more active ISIS affiliates in areas of Africa and in Afghanistan, where the United Nations now says the group has spread to every province within the war-torn country. I think that overall the U.S. has pretty consistently underestimated the jihadi uh, cause. The U.S. has, um, for a very long time, has played what I call disconnect the dots. The, 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 the political and military leadership and others really have not wanted to be in this fight for a long time. And so they see the enemy the, the way they want to see it. Former President Barack Obama once infamously called Islamic State in Iraq and Syria the, quote, JV or junior varsity team only to later send thousands of troops to help counter them. And former President Donald Trump twice tried to pull all forces out of Syria, only to send troops back in to continue helping Syrian allies battling the terror group.
The international coalition's role fighting Islamic State in Iraq and Syria has shrunk over time, as have U.S. troop numbers. Today, that mission has been scaled down a lot. The number of U.S. troops has been reduced by over 66% in the past 24 months. The roughly 2,500 troops in Iraq are sharing intelligence and helping the Iraqi forces and the Kurdish forces, known as the Peshmerga, with operational planning. About 1,000 U.S. troops in Syria are helping the Syrian Democratic Forces find remnants of Islamic State while securing critical infrastructure. Colonel Miles Kaggins, a military fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations who served as the spokesman for the global coalition to defeat ISIS, says where U.S. forces are partnered in Syria, the terror group is unable to hold territory or conduct significant attacks. In contrast, in regime-held areas, there are still uh, pockets of resistance and terrorist activity from ISIS that is giving fits to the Syrian regime in the Badia desert. So this is a sign uh, that our continued presence, our continued partnership uh, at a very small scale, we're talking just several hundred troops, is paying off dividends globally. One of the most worrisome problems lingering since Islamic State's territorial defeat is the massive number of fighters and family members detained in overcrowded prison camps. ISIS is now a so-called caliphate that's in a cage. Uh, more than 10,000 ISIS fighters members are locked up and held by Syrian Democratic Forces in North and East Syria. With detainees in Syria hailing from more than 60 different nations, local Syrian fighters are looking to Iraq and the global community to take in some of them before the camps become an even bigger breeding ground for the next generation of insurgents. Carla Babb, VOA News, The Pentagon. You can see much more on this story at VOA Asia Facebook. VOA Asia Facebook is the choice of millions to see and read the latest stories about Asia and the United States. Follow us on VOA Asia Facebook and say hello anytime you're online or on your smartphone. VOA Asia is also on Twitter and YouTube. Subscribe to all of our platforms for free. See, hear, and read and share all of the latest from VOA Asia anytime. This news from VOA Asia. Boston Celtics center Ennis Cantor is changing his name to Ennis Cantor Freedom to celebrate becoming a U.S. citizen. The basketball player has used his fame to support Tibetan independence and to criticize Chinese treatment of the Uyghur people. All the big stories coming your way throughout the day on VOA Asia, Twitter and Facebook. This is VOA Asia. VOA Asia continues. Portugal's Golden Visa program puts people who invest in the country on a path towards Portuguese citizenship and greater access to the European Union. It has long been attractive to people from mainland China, but now more people from Hong Kong and other parts of the world are signing up. These new investors are looking to take advantage of a good investment climate, but with a deadline looming. VOA's Laurel Bowman has our story. A warm climate by the sea, Mediterranean food and lifestyle, a high ranking on the Global Peace Index. What's not to like about Portugal? Investors have been signing up for the Portugal Golden Visa program for years and for a variety of reasons, especially investors from mainland China. Now investment advisors are getting interest from Hong Kong residents too. 
what is interesting is uh, the main driver for all the investors is not only for Hong Kong, it's for all investors around the world, is to have a plan B in life. And plan B also is uh, in many cases related to, uh, to having children or giving their children the possibility of uh, uh, studying or uh, working or living uh, in Europe. Hong Kong residents unhappy about China's new national security law is another reason they're looking for a plan B, say investment advisors. But it's not just Chinese nationals who are interested in Portugal. We have countries from South Africa, from Turkey, from Brazil. So it has, it's very spread. You can, nowadays with, uh, in the U.S., we have a lot of American clients coming to Portugal. It's unbelievable the amount of Americans that has been coming to Portugal. To get a residency permit leading to citizenship in roughly five years, an investor can create a company which offers jobs, buy or renovate property, or invest in a range of capital funds. But on January 1st, 2022, changes are coming to the program. For example, the amount required to subscribe to an investment fund will go up from 350,000 euros to 500,000 euros. And there's more. In the investment route, so for instance, capital transfer that uh, uh, until the end of the year will be 1 million euros, it will be raised to 1.5 million euros. And uh, in terms of the property route, um, the properties located in Lisbon, Porto and the, and the coast will be excluded from the, from the program. So you can only invest in low density areas, so mainly in the interior of, of Portugal. Gruner says these changes have put the pressure on, with investors from all over rushing in before the investment and property deals become less attractive. Laurel Bowman, VOA News, Washington. Making headlines in Asia, Macau police detained Alvin Chow, the CEO of Sun City Group, the city's biggest casino junket organizer. Chinese authorities issued an arrest warrant for 11 people over accusations that the group ran an illegal gambling syndicate on the mainland. Sun City accounts for an estimated 25% of gaming revenues in Macau. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. Now on VOA Asia. A new report is warning that Australia's native wildlife is in the grip of an unprecedented alien attack. Invasive pests, including European rabbits, feral cats, pigs, foxes and cane toads, as well as climate change, are all identified as major threats to biodiversity. VOA's Phil Mercer reports from Sydney. Non-native species have invaded Australia and threatened to overrun indigenous plants and animals. Invasive pests include European rabbits, which infest two-thirds of Australia, feral cats, pigs, foxes and cane toads. Introduced species are endangering more than 80% of Australia's threatened species. A report, Fighting Plagues and Predators, Australia's Path Towards a Pest and Weed-Free Future, highlights what researchers believe is a looming wave of new extinctions. The study was compiled by the CSIRO, the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, a government agency. Andy Shepherd is CSIRO's Research Director for Biosecurity. He says Australia's colonisation by the British more than 200 years ago has left a devastating environmental legacy. Look, Australia, as a lot of 
post-British colonial countries suffered from a huge amount of introduction of exotic species early in their colonization histories. You know, there were societies set up to deliberately introduce stuff so that the Europeans felt more at home. Australia, just like New Zealand, have suffered enormously as a result. Australia, unfortunately, has the worst record internationally for mammalian extinction, and that's largely to do with the activities of feral cats and feral foxes. The report released Tuesday estimated the cost of the damage caused by invasive species in Australia, mostly weeds, feral cats, rabbits and fire ants, at about $18 billion each year and growing. The study said that urgent, decisive, coordinated action was needed to stop the spread of invasive species and protect Australia's irreplaceable native animals and plants. Traditionally, chemical baits and biological controls have been used to manage feral pest populations. The methods are controversial and some animal welfare advocates have criticised them as inhumane. Scientists in Australia are working on genetic pest control techniques. Testing is underway on mice, but a so-called working system could be up to five years away. One potential biocontrol involves disrupting the breeding cycles of rodents to limit their ability to reproduce. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. An exhibition that examines the border wall between the U.S. and Mexico has opened at the National Building Museum in Washington, D.C. The Wall El Muro, what is a border wall, looks at the structure from the perspective of design and architecture, but also reflects its environmental, historical, and symbolic impact. Maxim Maskolkov has the story. Building the wall on the U.S.-Mexico border has been a politically divisive issue. That's why the National Building Museum in Washington felt it was important to tell the story of the wall with their new exhibition, The Wall, El Muro. What is a border wall? The National Building Museum is our our nation's museum to consider the built environment and, and its impact on our lives and our communities. And we believe that the wall is one of the most significant built environment issues and projects of the past century and and we uh, wanted to have a context for people to consider its evolution and its impact. The exhibition is an immersive multimedia experience containing hundreds of photographs, artifacts, video and audio recordings, as well as more traditional installations. Its opening coincides with the record high influx of migrants trying to cross the southern U.S. border, putting pressure on local border communities and U.S. authorities. There was a lot of political conversation about the border wall, or southern border in particular, um, with lots of opinions and attitudes about it, and it was very clear that a lot of people don't understand our border. So hoping in this exhibition that visitors will come in and will get a better understanding, get a history of sort of how we ended up where we are. The exhibition shows how U.S. immigration policies have changed over time and how the wall was built. Displays illustrate changing White House policies, the expanding length of wall sections, 
the number of detained migrants and the rising number of border patrol agents. In 1924, for example, there were only 450 border patrol guards. By 1992, there were 4,000. And today, there are more than 19,500. Since the late 1990s, more than 8,000 people are estimated to have died crossing the border into the U.S., mainly from heat strokes and dehydration. The conditions are, are really um, hostile, uh, both in, in weather and terrain, and, um, and so many of those people don't, don't survive. Part of the exhibition displays works of art. Artist Anna Teresa Fernandez has painted sections of the wall blue so that they disappear, fading into the color of the sky. Another installation is a children's seesaw swing, designed by architect Ronald Rael and designer Virginia Sanfratello. It symbolizes unity and connection, regardless of nationality. Maxim Moskalkov for VOA News, Washington. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to our service chief, Diane Gao. Our VOA Asia team includes Keith Lane, Chris Casquejo, and Jim Stevenson. I'm Jessica Stone in Washington. Enjoy your day.